Good morning, everyone. Um, my name's Daniel. I'm a part of staff here. I oversee our college ministry and our Sunday operations as well. And yeah, the reason I'm up here is uh, I think our members know, we announced last week, but our uh, pastoral staff and also our elder trainees are in D.C. right now. Um, they have been there the past couple of days, so shout out to uh, the wives and families that have been here um, and for all the volunteers helping out with them. But yeah, I think they're coming back tonight, so pray, pray for uh, safe travels. And yeah, really excited to see how God has equipped them this past, you know, several days uh, to really, um, yeah, train to be elders and look forward to um, the life of our church. And yeah, again, quick shout out to our Mercy Ministry as well. Um, those pictures are great. I think I was there last year as well. I wasn't able to go yesterday, but just knowing the amount of impact that we have, because our church's vision is not just to be inward focused, but to really serve the city as well. So really encouraged by our church and continuing to partner with Olive Crest. So Again, just really uh, want to encourage our church to look forward to opportunities in the future as well. Um, but in light of that, uh, we are actually, uh, if you've been coming for the last couple of weeks, uh, we are taking a break from our series in James um, in light of our pastoral staff being out um, and just kind of taking a detour, a, a one-off, if you will. Um, and I'm going to be preaching on a psalm. And just for context's sake, a little less than a month ago, if you've been following around um, on our church's reading, Bible reading plan, uh, one of the psalms that was assigned uh, maybe like three, four weeks ago was Psalm 90, which is the passage we'll be going into uh, today. And for some reason, Psalm 90, especially verse 12, has kind of haunted me. It's kind of like stuck with me. I, every time in like prayer, just randomly, I'll think about it. And Psalms, if you grew up in the church, uh, you'll know that they're considered to be the songbook of the Bible. Um, it really helps us to express our emotions, whether they be joy, lament, anger, sorrow, all the above and more. Uh, and Psalm 90, just to give a caveat, it, it is a bit weightier of a psalm. Uh, it's attributed to Moses, uh, probably while he was journeying around in the wilderness, trying to uh, wait until Israel could enter the promised land. And it's actually the oldest psalm that was written, the oldest psalm that we have. And I guess appropriately, it contrasts how time was viewed back then and now. Uh, it deals with death and mortality, so a lot of fun stuff for us this morning. Uh, but yeah, we'll be reading all of Psalm uh, verses 1 through 17, so I invite all of us, if you're able, to stand with us as I read for us the um, passage today, because we believe that God is alive and present with us as he speaks to us through his word. So let me read for us Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you were God. You returned mankind to the dust, saying, return, descendants of Adam. For in your sight, a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. You end their lives, they sleep. They're like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning, it sprouts and grows. By evening, it withers and dries up. For we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years, or if we're strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Lord, how long? 
Turn and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us, for as many years as we have seen adversity. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. The favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Long passage, but let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we look forward uh, to the next half hour or so of seeing how you will teach us to number our days carefully, how we may grow and obtain wisdom in our hearts. So be with us in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. If you've been on social media this past weekend, um, you probably saw a bunch of stories celebrating the life of Tim Keller. Um, If you follow me on Instagram, uh, you saw I posted something too. And I think for uh, many of us that are members or have been coming to our church for a while, we... I feel like we quote Keller maybe like every other sermon. He's had such a big impact on our staff, our, our, our church, all over the world for uh, believers, right? And so when I heard this news Friday morning, it threw me for a loop, right? Because I had uh, planned on Psalm 90 and it just seemed so, so, so fitting, so, so, I don't know, coincidental, maybe sovereign. And usually it's death or tragedy that, makes us, almost forces us to reflect, re-examine our lives. So in, in an interview earlier this year with uh, Keller, um, I think this was back in January, the interviewer asked Tim Keller, what do, what do you wish you knew at the beginning of your cancer diagnosis that you've kind of been learning these past two or three years? Right? And I think the quote is up there, but Tim Keller, his response is this, I wish I'd been able to understand how mortal I am without getting cancer. Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days that we get a heart of wisdom. I know what that means now. I don't know how you gain that understanding before you have something like this. There's a breakthrough in the way you look at everything. It's so poignant. In another interview, he says, the way that you look at God, the way that you look at your spouse, the way that you look at everything changes when you realize that time is limited and you are mortal. And I want to be sensitive uh, because I know that we have people here, we have members here that have been just dealing with tragedy, dealing with the death of loved ones, of family members. Um, But here is a man who, until his dying breath, ran well, right, and shares that Dealing with our mortality, dealing with death, and facing it head-on helps us to reshape the way we look at everything in life. And again, this is grim, this is kind of sad to start the morning off, but the reality is that all of us in this room one day are going to die. We all know this, we all kind of understand this, and yet we live the way, we live in a way like we never will. Right? It's kind of like this elephant in all of our rooms. We just kind of ignore it, hope it doesn't happen too soon. Why do we ignore death? Why do we live our lives like we'll never die? The question is, how can we live our lives well in light of that fact? How can we live our lives well knowing that we're all going to die? And Moses, as he writes this psalm, he's addressing his mortality head on as he realized his own time on earth was coming to an end. As he was leading Israel in the wilderness, unable to enter into Canaan, the promised land, he writes this psalm to address just how short life is. So we're going to look at three things that he points out. First, we're going to look at how death reveals our perspectives. Second, how eternity shifts our idea of productivity. 
And third and finally, how reality, understanding reality leads us to prayer. So three Ps, perspective, productivity, and prayer. So first, how death reveals our perspectives. Um, there is this recent show um, on, uh, on Amazon uh, video, I think. Uh, it's called Jury Duty. It's literally called Jury Duty, and it's about jury duty. That's been kind of popular. And if you don't know the premise of the show, uh, there's just one uh, juror that does, he thinks this is a real trial. And the rest of the actors, the judges, the, the other jury members, the, even the guards, the security, like, they're all in on the joke, right? They're all in on the prank. They're just kind of, uh, this is like a social experiment almost. Um, and I don't want to spoil it, but it really made me, especially the juror selection trial, it really made me think about my own jury duty experience at the end of last year. I, like, I felt kind of triggered, like, watching that first episode. I was like, oh, my gosh, like, looks exactly like the room I was in. Um, and... I remember back then, and Esther, and if you know me during that time, like, I was really annoyed. I was just, like, really frustrated during those, like, 10 days that I had. And and I was so annoyed because I was very anxious. I was uncertain, right? For some reason, the selection process took, like, three, four days, and I was like, dude, am I going to get chosen? Like, am I going to be actually a juror, right? And, and I didn't know, I didn't know like how long I was going to be there, right? How long is this process going to take? Am I actually going to have to do something? And just like in the, the show, um, I was the last alternate chosen, right? So there's two alternates and I'm like counting down all the numbers. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to have to be here. And they, they call my number. Um, and, and yet, even though that wasn't what I wanted, I think that gave me a sense of relief. Right? Because it at least gave me a clear end date. Okay, I know exactly when this is going to end. And I think we can all kind of look at life here on earth as a sort of jury duty. Because we're anxious. We're insecure. We don't know how long we have here. Right? We don't know when all this is going to end. I mean, I knew that jury duty was going to be maybe like a couple weeks, maybe a month at most. But it affected my life, like, to the fullest. I had to cancel schedules. I had to, like, tell Sam and Tom, dude, I can't come to office hours. I have jury duty, right? I, like, I had to adjust all these things. And it really affected my life. And I think that shows us that when we fixate and, and focus on the temporary, the temporal things, we, we get the sense of an instability, the sense of, like, anxiety, worry, maybe. And Moses, he acknowledges, he acknowledges this fact that our time on earth is limited, right? In verse 5 and 6, he says, they are like grass, talking about man, that grows in the morning. In the morning, it sprouts and it grows, but by evening, it withers and dries up, right? Like in Israel and Palestine, in the morning, there's fresh dew and grass, and then hours later, it's just dead. And, you know, that's kind of poignant because I'm 28, uh, technically in my athletic prime, but that felt like a long time ago for me, to be honest. Like, it takes a long time to kind of recover and do the same things I used to be able to. Uh, and, and, you know, it's kind of sad, and, um, you know, no offense if you're 38 or 48 or, you know, older, but I thought about what I could do when I was 18. You know, just starting college, I was like, man, like, I could play basketball until 2, 3 a.m., like, three, four days in a row. I could eat whatever I wanted. I, I didn't have to sleep that much, right? My, my life was great. I could do whatever I wanted, and now at 28, I'm just like, man, like, if I eat anything past, like, 9 p.m., I'm just, like, heartburn. <laughs> like, it, it hurts me, Right? And I think, while that is true, I think a little bit at least I've grown mentally. Like, I think I've become a little bit more wise in these past 10 years, right? 
And, and I think this shows us that our lives, um, us as created beings, we change over time, right? And the, the reason that I think we fear or are, or are anxious about death is because it shows that our perspective on life is that all that matters is here on earth, right? Why do I get depressed when I think about how, like, I can't, do, I can't jump as high, I can't run as long, right? Why do, I, why do I get sad about, like, having to kind of take care of my body a little bit more, how my body has changed? It's because I value my health, my appearance, my experience, and I think for all of us, we understand as we grow older, those things kind of feel like they're slipping away so quickly. Right? Here today, gone tomorrow. And it's kind of scary thinking about the future. I get kind of anxious when I think about what's going to happen when I am 38, 48, 58, Lord willing, if I get there, right? I don't know how I'll change. Hopefully for the better. Hopefully I'll mature and become more godly. But what, what about things outside of my control? And I want to turn our attention to the beginning of this psalm, verses 1 and 2, look how Moses starts this psalm. He says, Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world. From eternity to eternity, you are God. What he's saying is, we change, God doesn't. God, from eternity to eternity, has been the same, is, will always be. And I think that is what Moses needed Right? That is what Moses needed to remember, that he didn't know how much longer he was going to be in the wilderness. Right? I don't, we don't know how long he was already there for, but he didn't know. He was getting older. He didn't know, am I going to make it into the promised land? So how does he address God? Right? What does he emphasize? He calls God his refuge. Right? Another way to translate that in verse, uh, verse 1 is dwelling place. Right? God, you are my dwelling place. You are my shelter when I have no home here in the wilderness. You're my comfort, even though there are just uncertainty all around me. You're my protection when there's all these dangers around me. You are my stability in the midst of instability. And for us, we can relate, right? Our circumstances change, we change, people around us change, but God doesn't. And when we think about this concept of home, um, I actually had a couple uh, military uh, friends or friends of military families while I was in college. And it was interesting because for them, home is not where a building is, right? Home is not your, you know, your apartment or your house or whatever you're living in. Home is where your family is, right? Home is where mom is. Home is where you come back to dad or your siblings, right? I think for us, we equate our homes as maybe our literal homes or jobs or possessions, even relationships, could it be that we feel this anxiety and this uncertainty because we, so, we see those things as our home rather than God? Verses 9 and 10, for all our days ebb away under your wrath, we end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years, or if we are strong, 80 years, even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. I think we've already mentioned uh, this show a couple times before, but you know, when I watched Beef, I was like, I came in with low expectations. Maybe that's like me being a hater, but like, I was like, oh, I wonder how it's going to be. But I remember that first episode when um, Steven Yeun's character, Danny, right? He, like, he, he gets into this kind of um, scuffle with Ali Wong, and then, you know, he drives away and he just mutters, almost like a throwaway line, like, there's always something, right? There's always something. 
Um, and apparently, I'm an Enneagram 6, and apparently I am constantly in a state of worry. And apparently, I am driven by anxiety and everything. So, you know, for me, I resonated with Danny. I'm like, you're right. There's always something I have to worry about, right? There's always something on the to-do list. There's always like another email. Or there's always something. Moses, um, he acknowledges this, right? He acknowledges, hey, we have 70 or 80 years, but even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. There's always something, right? Our lives are never ideal, not at, there's never going to be a time when everything's perfect. There's always going to be something that makes life hard, that makes us, makes us tired and anxious. So like Moses says, we end our lives, the CSB says sigh, but literally we end our lives with a literal groan, just ugh, from frustration, from difficulty, from just I'm over it. Right? A reason we don't like to think about death is that we just don't have time to. Right? We just kind of get caught up with everything we have to take care of, that always something there in our lives. We always have to take care of that. They can be great things, raising family, being involved in church, all these other things. And yet, uh, commentator Christopher Ash, he puts it like this. He says, you and I become restless and discontented because we make the mistake of thinking that this world is home. Yeah, I think Christopher Ash, he's hitting on something. Right? I think that's why we're so tired all the time. Because our homes, our jobs, our possessions, our relationships, they all, we all have to work in all those things. Right? We all have to do something there. But going back to what is the point of a home, the point of a home is to rest. Right? You come home after your nine to five, where actually a lot of us work you know, from home anyways, but you know, there's a this distinct kind of line, when you come home from work, what do you want to do? You want to throw on Netflix. You want to change into comfortable clothes. You want to just kind of relax, right? That's what home is for. And when we see God as our home, our refuge, we're able to take a break, rest from activity, right? Moses, he doesn't point out that God is eternal just so he, he can contrast we are not. But Moses, he's pointing out that God, from eternity to eternity, you are God because his eternity is the solution to our insecurity, right? Why are we so restless? Why are we so insecure? It's because God is not our home. When we forget that God is our refuge, we're not unlike Israel. When we lose sight of what Christ has done for us, we kind of revert our gaze. We kind of turn back to the temporary things, our health, purpose, pleasure, experience. John 1.14 says that the word, meaning Jesus Christ, became flesh and he dwelt among us. The same word, meaning he became home. He became a dwelling place among us. Right? Christ literally came down in the form of man. He put on flesh and he lived among us. And we know that through his death on the cross, he makes even death just a temporary thing for Christians. Right? Death is temporary for the Christian. And through Jesus, we have the opportunity to rest, to dwell in him instead of our busy schedules. He invites us to shift our perspective from placing our trust in the temporary things to the things that matter eternally. So before we go on to our next point, I want to ask, do you find yourself anxious when you think about death? Or another question, do you just, don't even think about death, like, do you just find yourself anxious? 
Maybe it's because you're just placing too much importance, too much stock into whatever it is that's kind of taking up real estate in your mind. Because they seem urgent, but ultimately it's temporary, right? God could be revealing this to you and inviting you to make him your dwelling place. So not only does God invite you to shift your perspective on death and time and eternity, but he invites us to understand productivity in light of eternity. So the second point is how eternity shifts our idea of productivity. These are long like headings, I know, but just bear with me. You know, I, as I talk about aging, it's just been very sobering. Uh, and again, I'm not super old, but, you know, I'm just having these thoughts. You know, I'm getting married soon. I'm kind of like having existential crisis. I'm like, hey, like aging, this is very sobering. And I'm sure the older folks here have gone through this and understand this even more, right? But we're objectively a young church, right? If you look around the room, we're pretty young. Right? We don't have too many white-haired folks here. We don't have too many. We're pretty young as a church. And it shows because I'm like right around the median age or maybe right underneath, right? I remember about five and a half years ago, I came to this church and I was like 22, 23. And I was just like one of the youngest ones. And I'm like, dude, I look around now like I'm older than a lot of you guys, right? It's kind of weird. And when I was in college, 70 or 80 years old, it felt like a whole lifetime, like an eternity. But, you know, as I've been thinking these days, it's like, wow, I'm like a couple years away from being halfway there, right? Crazy. I was talking to even a couple at our church, uh, you know, uh, she was saying like, man, my son just turned eight, I'm really sad, you know, like college is right around the corner. And it's like, wow, time goes by really, really quickly as we get older, Verse 12 is a representation of pretty much this whole psalm, right? Moses, he, he kind of recounts everything, where he's at, and then he asks God, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Number our days carefully. Essentially, what Moses is saying is, God, I recognize I'm a limited human being. I recognize I'm weak. I'm only here today, gone tomorrow. God, help me to develop wisdom in my heart. Right, wisdom, as we see in Proverbs and all of Scripture, wisdom is basically just how do you live well? How do you negotiate the, the reality of sin and suffering in life? And how do you live well? How do you honor God in your life? And wisdom is to live with a proper fear, a proper view of God. And wisdom is developed, as we see, over time and experience. And we can, we can apply wisdom to how we evaluate productivity, right? Though we, again, we see our, our, ourselves and our church as very young, for honest, we're not that far away from 70, 80. Right? Our time's limited, it goes by quickly. And yet, for everything else in our lives, if we know something's limited, we, we have, have, this, have this idea that, hey, we need to make it count, right? We need to make the most out of this limited resource. And this isn't something spiritual, this isn't something like from the, it's just, Common sense, it's just nature for us to like, man, there is a limited resource at my disposal. I got to make the most of it, right? Culture just tells us you have to maximize productivity, right? When we think about it, uh, one, one example I thought about, you know, it was in college. We had these meal, meal swipes, right? And always, like, 
the last couple of weeks, you would see like huge lines out the cafeteria door or like whatever, kind of like for, for me, it was Brewing Cafe. It was like, man, you see these long lines because we realized I have like 45 swipes left over and I have like two days to use them all. Like who's going to use all of that? And I would see like my roommates coming home with just like pallets of like Gatorade. It's like, dude, like that's such a waste. But like, no, like I had to use it, right? Or else it's going to go to waste. Like, okay. And, and I think that, that idea, that concept, we understand. And just to get a little bit more personal for me right now, um, I've been going through premarital counseling with Pastor Tom and my fiance Esther. I, I've been looking at, hey, how can I maximize these times? How can I maximize these like five or six sessions? How can I be productive? You know, because for me, it's like I want to like figure everything out about marriage. I'm gonna figure out like where she's coming from, her family. How are we gonna like argue and like hopefully get out of arguments? Like I want to figure all of that out before actually getting married. And I was sharing this with my spiritual director. Right? I see my uh, my director maybe once a month just to kind of like get a get a odometer reading, pretty much of like how I'm doing spiritually. And he said something interesting, which was. He listened to me and he said, hey, you know what's striking is in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, which basically a spark version, right? There's this master, three servants. He gives one five talents, coins, the other one two, the other one one. And the first one, right, he, he does whatever and makes five more. Master comes back, hey, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few. I'll set you over much. Enter into my joy. Second servant, same thing, right? And the, and the third one, right? He's like, he's not maximizing productivity, right? He just buries it. He's just like, hey, like, I just want to make sure it didn't get stolen. Master's like, what's, what's wrong with you? At least you could put it in the bank and had some interest for me, right? And yet we, we forget that like, hey, we, we kind of listen and hear and learn about the story growing up in church, and we think, oh, that means like I have to use everything, you know, my music skills to bless the church. You know, I have to, I have to leverage my talents and all that. But we lose, the sight, we lose sight of the fact that it's not to like accomplish a task, right? The master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Now enter into my joy, right? We don't do this to make five more talents. We do it to make the Lord happy. We, we, we do it to please God. And I, I was hearing that, and I was, like, humbled. I'm like, oh, like, you know, I thought I would foolishly, like, figure out how to navigate marriage in these, like, six sessions, right? Six two-hour sessions. And, you know, I'll, I'll kind of maximize my time. And I lost sight of the fact that, hey, actually, once I'm actually married to Esther, I'll have the time to enjoy and learn and experience and love and resolve conflict with her, right? We lose sight of the fact that these... Premarital, you know, counseling sessions are temporary. We have 80 years here on earth. We have 80 million more and more and more after to enter into the joy of God, right? We lose sight of the fact and think we only have these 70, 80 years here on earth. Another wisdom book, Ecclesiastes, says that God has put eternity in our hearts. And so wisdom is to understand, hey, what's actually productive? Right? What actually is, is, um, has purpose in the economy of God's kingdom? What really matters in the long run? And a pastor friend of mine, um, I had lunch with him a couple weeks ago, maybe a little longer ago, and he, he shared with me right, that he had to repent and re-examine his priorities. And I'm like, dude, what happened? Like, I, I see too many like, stories of like, pastors falling. He's like, man, like, 
I was in the playpen with my daughter one day, and like, I realized like, she was calling for me. I was supposed to be playing with her, right? But I was on my phone just trying to be productive. Like, I had to like, prep a sermon, ironically, right? I had to do that, and I realized I became this absent father that I vowed I would never be. It's like, dude, maybe that's like, a good kind of like, thing to repent of. But that was like, humbling for me, right? Because while it might not be a kid, while it might not be anything of that kind of like significance, a lot of us, we just kind of lose sight of the fact, right? We think we have all the time in the world. I'll get to it. I'll get to church. I'll get to getting right and reconciling with my mom, right? I'll get to it. A wise understanding of eternity and maybe at the same time a wise understanding of how short our lives are is that it's not maximizing our time here on earth in terms of how much we can earn, what we can gain, right? But what we can do right now for the life ahead, right? Developing a heart of wisdom is to understand God's rhythm for life, which is to worship, work, rest, take care of family, enjoy good food, all these things, right? And then prioritizing, shifting our schedules accordingly, Right, to number our days carefully on earth isn't necessarily about, hey, I need to maximize my earning potential. I need to move up the corporate ladder. It's not about having all these experiences, but it's about, hey, once we have those things, what do we do with it? Right, what do we do with that? Are, are you so caught up in getting this uh, degree, maybe a career, so that you kind of lose sight of the importance of the local church? Are you so intent on kind of maximizing your vacation that instead of being actually able to relax and enjoy and spend time with family, you're kind of like, hey, this is next on our schedule. Hey, we got to keep to our schedule, right? Are you so focused on, again, kind of moving up, getting that status, that relationships, conversations, they kind of just get crowded out of your schedule? And the question for us to examine is, have we made the, the means our end, Right? Do we see being productive in kind of like generating, you know, usage, generating kind of like um, materials and goods here on earth, right? Is it, is productivity, do we see it as our job, our families, our homes, our experiences? Is, are those things our ultimate goal? If so, God invites you to kind of rethink, reconfigure what it means to be productive and see that it's really the eternal things that he counts as productive. So we begin to live well, we live wisely when we acknowledge not just how temporary our lives are, but when we actually prioritize our lives in light of that fact. And we can only live well and enjoy our lives when we fully depend upon God for help. When we do that, that's when we begin to understand reality. And when we understand reality, that leads us to our last point, which is prayer. Reality, understanding reality leads us to prayer. You know, again, I think I've mentioned every point as I grow older, there are these new realizations that I'm having, um, but I'm realizing more and more uh, how big of an impact that my parents had on me. Um, you know, one of these ways is in their devotion to prayer. Um, come from a very strong Christian family, a Korean Christian family, where like I remember waking up multiple times during childhood, I just see my mom on her knees in the living room just praying. I sometimes like I look right next to me in my bed and she's praying. I'm like, whoa, it's crazy. Pretend I'm asleep. I remember staying at church way past youth group on Friday nights, right? Not because like I had to do anything, but because my parents they 
they realized just how important it was to pray. They're like, man, and we have to gather and just pray for these different things. And my parents, they never forced me to like, hey, like, what are you doing? Come here and pray with us, right? But they modeled it for us, right? He, my mom, my dad, they modeled for me and my sister just how important prayer is. And in many ways and many times, it's all we have, right? It's the only thing we can do when we're desperate. And we have to remember that this psalm that we have is a prayer of Moses, right? The, the very inscription, a prayer of Moses, the man of God, which is significant because Moses is seen to be a man whose prayers actually worked, right? Whose prayers moved God. Verses 13 through 17, the rest of the, the last portion of this psalm are the different petitions, the different requests that Moses makes to God. Right, to help him to live wisely, help him to live well. And all of them have to deal with his relationship with God. You know, something about just the month of uh, during a wedding season uh, it's, is that it really ramps up the stress in wedding planning. Um, and not even just wedding planning, it just ramps up stress in a relationship. So um, case in point, last weekend we moved uh, the bed from Esther's place to, my, to our newlywed home and like we took it apart, we put it together. Big problem though, we didn't have the right tool so it's like we needed an Allen key this big but we had something that kind of fit and long story short, like I messed up a lot of things. <laughs> I have a bed but it's kind of messed up um, and that led to Esther and me having this, yeah, this weird argument, right? Um, and it was, kind of, it was kind of tense. It was kind of weird. But what I think helped us through that and actually talk through it, um, A, Esther doesn't like to keep things in. Like, she's like, hey, we have to talk. So, like, thank you, Esther, for that. But what I think helped us to kind of go through and, and work through this problem was the, the trust that we had developed in our relationship over time. These past several years, right, of acknowledging and affirming to one another, like, hey, I care for you. Like, hey, like, I, we're on the same team. Like, we want, we want the same things, right? It's through, it's through time developing this trust that, that we learn that, hey, we can actually depend upon, rely upon one another, and know that we're not just fighting because we hate one another, right? It's interesting because in verse 13, Moses calls God Yahweh for the first time, right? Verses 1 through 12. He, he, call, he, he calls God as just God or Lord, but Yahweh is, if you know, his covenant name, right? This intimate name that God has for his people. So as he's lifting up this prayer, as he's making this shift to these petitions, Moses is saying, God, remember the relationship that you have with me. Remember your relationship to Israel, right? It, it, if you know about Moses as well, in Exodus 32, God is ready to destroy Israel. Like he's about had it with their like unfaithfulness. But Moses, the same word he uses in verse 13, shuv, right? Turn, right? He asks God, turn away from your anger. Relent. Do not bring disaster on your people, right? And God, surprisingly, amazingly, doesn't destroy Israel, Right? And I'm not going to get into predestination or like, hey, if we pray hard enough, we can change God's mind and all that. But what Moses shows us is in his life and in this psalm, prayer has the power to affect our experience of life. Prayer has the power to experience, affect our experience of life. And again, what led Moses to be so bold is that he had built up this trust. He had built up this confidence in God. He had built up this trust that God is a God who listens 
It's because of this trust and confidence that Moses was able to ask for all these things, right? That he asked God for his covenant faithfulness, his faithful love. In, in, in Hebrew, it's chesed, right? He's asking for joy and favor upon him in Israel. Tim Keller, um, again, a part of another interview he had during his last kind of couple months is he says, I pray more often, but I also do it more longingly. What's really amazing is that when you know you've got to have more of God, because there's really no alternative, to our surprise, there is more of God to be gotten. Right? In the face of death, knowing that he doesn't have much time left, he says, man, I'm like praying like I've never done before, right? Because you, you realize that's all you can do, right? Your time here is limited. And to his surprise, it's not just like, uh, okay, I guess I'll have to do this, but it's, man, there's more of God. Like, he meets me even more. He reveals more of himself to me. And what we see from Keller and Moses and all these other saints in the Bible is that your prayer life, it simultaneously, it reveals your intimacy with God, and it also provides you the opportunity to grow that intimacy with him, right? So how, do, just examine, just think, how do you pray, right? When, when you have your quiet time or devotionals in the morning, like what is the content of your prayer, right? Is it, Lord, thank you for this day. Uh, be with me. Um, pray for my community group, maybe. Like, amen, right? Hey, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Is it filled with Christianese? Is it short? Is it kind of like awkward? Do you kind of run out of things to pray for like very quickly? It might just be an indicator of how intimate you are with God, right? And at the same time, it could be discouraging to kind of realize that, but prayer is the arena where you can grow that intimacy, right? It's where you are kind of awkward, you don't know what to pray for, and yet you're just there. You're there and you're, assume, you're trusting that God is there, right? I, I love kind of like when I'm meeting with people at our church or just counseling them, the kind of like awkwardness and stillness. It's like, well, how do you feel? Like, uh, I, I don't know, right? But if I were to kind of just bounce out of that conversation, like what would happen, right? Like the, the person would feel rejected. They'll feel like, dude, I'm never talking to Shim again. Like all these things. But it's when we kind of, enter into, press into that silence and awkwardness that we can begin to grow our intimacy with God. Christopher Ash again, he says, Moses prays with confidence that the gladness that will come in the future is a joy that more than cancels out all the sorrows and miseries of living in a world under sin. And it will so do. At present, we have days drifting warily on into years of affliction. But when Christ comes, the gracious deeds of God, his splendor, will be shown in wonder and majesty to all his people, right? Look at the language. Look at what Moses is praying for, right? In verse 13, he begins, he says, Lord, how long? He's basically crying out to God. Dude, God, I'm frustrated. How long? Verse 14, he asks God, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, with your faithfulness to your covenant, with your faithfulness to me, right? Satisfy us in the morning, God. I need this. Verse 15, recognizing as many days as you have humbled us, you're doing it to bring us joy, right? You've allowed these things, these hardships to happen in our lives and you're doing it, I trust God, you're doing it to bring me joy, to refine me, to humble me. Verse 16, he's saying, let your goodness be seen to us and your children. 
man, he's saying, Lord, let the work of cross, the, the, the work of Christ on the cross, let it be shown to us, to our kids, to their kids' kids, right? To all generations. Let them see that. And finally, in verse 17, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to accomplish. Lord, I'm weak. I'm limited. I'm finite. I don't know how much I can do here, but I'm going to trust that you will establish the work of my hands. I'm going to trust that you have a purpose for what I'm doing here. I'm going to trust that you're going to do something with it. Without prayer, I don't think Moses would have been able to journey in the wilderness for as long as he did. I really don't, right? This psalm, this one prayer out of many, I'm sure, shows us how important prayer was for Moses, right? To express his frustration, his hope, his sorrow, his joy, his desperation all at once. Prayer is where we grow in our intimacy with God. And when we see how short life is, what's going to help us ultimately to deal with these, there's always some things, is to pray. It's to grow in our prayer lives. Because that's where we draw near to God and God draws near to us, as we're going to see in a couple of weeks from James 4. The way we develop wisdom in our heart is to acknowledge our limitations, acknowledge our finitude, and to pray. To ask God, help me. How long, O oh Lord, help me deal with reality, the reality of sin and hardship and suffering. You know, to close, um, one podcast I thoroughly enjoy uh, is uh, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. I don't know if anyone else listens to it, but Conan O'Brien, every week, he talks to this famous celebrity and they just kind of shoot the breeze. Um, but he has this other version that during COVID, um, it's called Conan O'Brien Needs a Fan. So he just zooms with different fans he has. And a couple of years ago, actually, um, one fan, um, I forgot her name, but she was basically an obituary writer. So basically, she writes about death. She just writes about people that died, right? And what's interesting, I always like, this stuck with me in my mind. I don't know why I'm so obsessed with death, by the way, but it's, he, he, he asked, like, hey, I asked my dad once, like, why, when I get a newspaper, why do I go to the obituary, like, right away? Why is that the, the section of the newspaper that really fascinates me? And his dad, he, he's a doctor, he's like a neurosurgeon or something, and he's very wise. He says, oh, Conan, it's because the story is complete. Right? When you read an obituary, the story has a beginning and an end, right? You know the whole arc of this person that died. There's something very profound, something very beautiful about that, right? When we see death as like, ah, the finishing of my arc here on earth. Though it could seem so far for many of us, Psalm 90, it brings us face to face with our mortality. It it forces us to face our death and think about it. And I think if we look at Psalm 90 well, rather than seeing death as something that we just kind of ignore, hope it doesn't happen too soon at least, or something to dread and fear, we see death for what it is, right? We see it's just the end of our story here on this temporary earth. One last Keller quote. Keller, in Making Sense of God, all these years before, he wrote that all death can now do to Christians is to make their lives infinitely better. Death, it really has no sting on us, right? Death, all it can do now is finally help us get to our permanent destination, It's going to make our lives, our expectations, our joys infinitely better. And this is how we live well, knowing that one day we're going to die. It's to know that, man, death, once it happens, it's going to be great in a weird way. 
Right? Psalm 90 is a song that, that Israel corporately sang together to help them deal with disasters. And today, it's now a song that we have as a congregation that we can sing to help us in facing anxiety and the hardships of life. It's a reminder that we should live well in light of eternity. We should, we should number our days carefully. And it's a template for a prayer that we can use to deepen our relationship with God. So I'm going to invite the praise team up, but this week I encourage all of us and for the next couple of moments just to think and reflect. What are the anxieties? What are the different priorities in our lives? How do we see what is productive? Right? Bring these things to the Lord. Bring it to God. Right? Maybe for the first time, just admitting it, acknowledging it to him, confess it to him. And ask him to grow our desire for heaven. Ask him to grow that, that, that you would be able to see death rightly. That you wouldn't fear it. You wouldn't ignore it. But you would be able to see death rightly and to grow your desire for heaven. So let's have that time to reflect. <laughs>